They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. Not my obedience. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across the crypto world so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO show on your podcast platform of choice or alternatively on YouTube. So this week, we're going to be talking about enterprise blockchain. What's going on there? What's happening? Uh, We're going to give you an update on that as well as a bit of news. Yeah, so we're going to cover uh, the launch of Coinbase's venture fund, the new anti-money laundering laws in Australia, uh, what Rush is doing uh, with Ethereum, which is quite mm. interesting as well, and a, a fair bit of other um, news that we'll, we'll discuss when the time comes. So what have you been up to this week? Yeah, we went to a uh, Ethereum meetup last week, and it was more around the engineering side of Ethereum than you know anything about the price or or whatever. And mm. it's essentially an event that's being run by Consensus and ThoughtWorks. Who are Consensus? Because uh, for those who don't know, well, what's a bit of well, who are Consensus? Yeah, so Consensus are a essentially a worldwide organization deal predominantly with Ethereum, but they've got a very interesting model, which I think they call Holacracy, which is essentially mm-hmm. about having a, it's kind of like a decentralized version of an organization, right. a little bit similar to decentralized autonomous organizations, mm-hmm. but um, they can vote on different things. There's different portions to the, the, the business, but there's no real figurehead or a leader. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's operated a lot, a lot more on like a flat, scale than most top-down organizations and they're involved with a bunch of different ethereum projects they work quite closely with the ethereum foundation mm-hmm. uh, and also the enterprise ethereum alliance wow um so there's they're, they're a big deal i think they've got about 600 to 700 employees and oh, yeah. they seem to be adding like 10 to 20 new employees every week at the moment so they're working on the platform they're consulting for businesses mm, that's yeah. that's awesome cool. yeah they seem to have their things in a lot of different pies which is mm. pretty cool so they've been running this engineering event to essentially help software engineers and other interested parties that are looking to get into the space to educate themselves on ethereum and wow. what the platform does and their goal is to have a bunch of new developers by the end of the year that either would want to work with consensus or uh, uh, would be able to be hired by consensus or by someone else, mm, which is awesome, pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. So, what have you been up to, mate? Oh, just just a bit of this and that, really. Um, I've had a had a spot of gaming this week. Being able to jump onto Battlefield Four, fly some helicopters around. What else? <laughs> um, just been exploring the countryside around Brisbane. Beautiful mm. area. So, um, yeah, if you're in this part of the world, hit us up for some suggestions on places to go. And we take crypto net here now too in a lot of yeah. our stores. So, with travel by bit, fantastic. Joe, is this investment legal or financial advice? In a word, no. Um, New cryptocurrencies seem to be popping up every day, and it's hard to know which ones are legitimate and which aren't. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. Full disclosure, we're personally both invested in different cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. 
But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose and avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to crypto, check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Mm. And all of our Blockchain Basics segments are in the... We've got timestamps in the show notes. So, Mm. if you don't want to listen through the full episodes, you can just normally in your podcast app of choice, like if you're using Podcast Addict on on Android, um, you can normally click on the timestamp and it will take you to the specific starting point. So, you don't have to trawl through every single part of every episode to find it. Mm. Uh, Thanks to all our regular listeners for tuning in. And uh, hello to our new YouTube subscribers. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, Absolute pleasure having you here. Yeah, we just want to do a special shout out to MC Robbo or is it? McRobbo. Is it McRobbo? Yeah. <laughs> um, you can just tell us in Slack how we actually pronounce it. But you dropped us a note back in March and, and McRobbo said he's been catching up with our podcast as he renovates the bathroom, which was awesome. <laughs> we, got, we actually got a real kick out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah thank you for your message, man. Yeah, it. yeah. Like it does mean a lot to us, you know. And if, if you are... If you're like that and you're listening to our podcast while doing something or if it if it means something to you, please like feel free to drop us a note. Uh, we'd love to hear it and we'd love to shout you out on the show yeah. too. So, where, what are you doing while you're listening to our podcast? We'd love to hear from you. Jump on our Slack. Yes. Be Slack. Stop doing what you're doing. That's right. If you'd like to be a part of the show, why not send us a voice recording? Um, if it's under a minute long and uh, in an MP3 or WAV file... We'll try our best to fit you in the show, um, whether you're sharing news, a couple facts about an industry, or just an interesting tidbit or observation. Um, do just send us a recording. You can email it to us at fomoshow at protonmail.com. Cool. So, what's been going on in the news last Yeah, so look, weeks? something that was probably hyped more than it actually ended up being mm-hmm. was Coinbase launching... Uh, their venture fund initiative. Mm. So this this news came out that Coinbase was going to be making a major announcement from CNBC oh, yeah. Fast Money, a major announcement, you know. And so everyone was like, "What are they going to list? You know, is it going to mm. be it's going to be Ripple? Is it is it going to be BitConnect back from the dead? <laughs> like, what's it going to be?" Anyway, so this major announcement actually turned out to be that Coinbase was launching a venture fund. Um, what was it, a $15 million fund or something? Yeah, $15 million fund. So, uh, you know, it's it's approximately uh, about uh, 60 times smaller than the EOS venture capital fund. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's nice that they're... It's nice that they're giving a little bit of money yeah. out to people. Because, yeah, they said in their blog post, we'll be providing financing to promising early-stage companies that have the teams and ideas that can move the space forward in a positive, meaningful way. Aside from the fact that this is a tiny fund, what kind of problems do you think will be will, uh, will be pretty useful for moving the space forward? User experience. I think we can just end the show there. That is such a good point. I mean, user experience, I'm seeing mobile. Yep. You've got speed of transactions. Mm-hmm. And then there's one thing. I've been seeing more and more people like, you know when you tell people crypto is about being your own bank? Now, for some of us, that's super exciting. It's like, yes, I am the maker of my own destiny. <laughs> if I lose my keys, I'm an idiot, and that's all my money gone. But some people are legitimately afraid. Dude, I'm legitimately afraid that's of being my point. own bank. That's a fair point. It's daunting. <laughs> mm. Doesn't mean it's not good, but mm. it's it's daunting, mm. man. Like with your bank, if if something goes wrong at the moment, you can call them up and be like, look. 
I did something stupid. I must have, you know, like a, I must have left. Someone got a hold of my pin. I don't know how they did it, but can I have my money back? And then they call up the Federal Reserve and say, we need a bit more money. <laughs> and the Federal Reserve says, mm, okay, here you go. And then you get your money back. Mm. With uh, crypto, that's not how it works. Mm. So potentially there's space for, you know, crypto banks where sort of mm. they take a little, maybe insure some of the deposits or some nonsense. I saw a really interesting take on this. Yeah. Um, and it was actually by a bloke who's, who's here in Brisbane that's starting his own company. And the product is called SafeWords. And what he is proposing to do is to have like a hardware wallet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's going to be three different key phrases that associate with your private key. So you can only unlock your private key with two of those three phrases. And the idea is that you keep one yourself, you give one to someone else that you really trust. So like, I don't know, your dad or something and say, dad, can you keep this safe? And then you put the third in like a safety deposit box or you store it with a bank. Um, And that way what it does is it kind of, it distributes your attack service. Mm -hmm. And it means that if you, uh, you know, you want to access the money, and this would be more like your savings, you know, you need to have two of those three safe words. And so you might memorize it yourself. So there's no issue. You've memorized your safe words yourself. You're able to do your day-to-day stuff. Mm -hmm. But if someone else wanted to get that, they would have to not only find your safe word, but also find someone else's that's holding onto it for you, which is a really, really interesting idea. And I think that's how we might see things go in the future, Mm. maybe with these banks Mm. that they're not holding everything, but they become custodians of a certain portion. Mm. But Law firms would open up. That's right. Make a nice little buck or two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be be a new way that, you know, people could possibly do stuff. But we'll link safe words in the... um, in the show notes, because I think that's the kind of thing that Coinbase may end up focusing on is those kind of projects that solve those really big issues that people seem to have with using and storing crypto. Mm. Mm. But seriously, user experience. Someone seriously needs to do something about that. So true. Next bit of news. Now, for those who aren't in Australia, we'll keep this brief just so it doesn't get too boring for you. There are some new anti-money laundering rules which are now in place for exchanges. And basically, they've got to meet some new counter-terrorism anti-money laundering um, programs. They've got to maintain their records for seven years and identify and verify users um, and report any suspicious behavior and transactions involving more than 10,000 uh, 7,700 US dollars worth of transactions. So kind of a big deal, which means you can't just cash out so easily as you used to be able to up until recently. Mm. What, what do you reckon on that? Mate, this is expected, but it's it's really disappointing. Like, I mean, we've been using Living Room of Satoshi for a while. A lot of people have been using it. What kind of struck me the most about this was looking at their Facebook page after this happened oh. and just seeing all the people, Twitter, and, and they tried to put in a really positive spin. They were like, guys, like... Um, uh, you know, this is just going to make this is uh, the aim of this is to make the country more secure. We've got to comply with it; it's the law. They tried to make it as happy as possible, but all the comments were like, "Sorry, we we can't use your platform anymore. We've loved what you're doing, but um, this is you know the exact opposite of what you were set up to do," mm. which is really true. But at the end of the day, 
they're not the one the ones with the guns. You mm. know, the government's the one with the ones with the guns, mm. and you've got to do what the government mm. says. I think there's some there is some silver lining, so like, and and I think we're going to see this in other countries as well as they if they crack down. I think they're unwittingly contributing to people moving over to decentralized exchanges. Wow, very um, good point. Because at the moment, I mean, living room Satoshi, as much as we love it, it's centralized. And that's an exchange, just for anyone who doesn't know, it's an exchange where you can exchange your crypto for fiat money, uh, US dollars, Australian dollars in this case. So contributing to decentralized exchanges, wow. Yeah, so for those of you guys who don't know, decentralized exchange is basically what it sounds like. It's an exchange that where you have a system that... Uh, that facilitates the transactions, but no one holds any records, and the transactions occur just between the two parties on chain. Wow. Um, so it means that there's no nowhere that all that data is being stored. There's no point of attack. Uh, there's no one reporting back to someone. And I think you're going to see that as these clampdowns happen, more and more people are going to move over to that kind of model um, to try and minimise mm. the uh, the ability for people just to look in. It doesn't solve the issue of cashing out. That's the one. That's the one problem. But I'm sure someone's going to come up with some creative way to 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 cash out in some Again, different manner. Isn't it? But it, look, mate, it's it's disappointing as an Australian. Like we're here in Australia, it's disappointing to see that this is the tack the government's taking. I'm just honestly wondering how long it's going to be until they point a, put a ban on proof of sale technology without you know wow. some kind of know your customer requirements wow. because. You know, with what uh, Travel by Bit are doing here in Australia, where you can go to a lot of stores now and just pay with crypto. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's potentially another way that people could, quote unquote, cash out mm. and, you know, potentially launder their money without to get around this these requirements. So mm-hmm. it's very, very backwards. And I think it's a, it's a very, very negative uh, action by the government. And I'm not a big fan. A little bit of entertainment from this week. Um, one of the founders of Ethereum, um, uh, his name's Vitalik Buterin, and he's kind of like this. Ch- he was this like teenage prodigy. He's now about twenty-four, so he's grown up a little bit more, and he's incredible to listen to speak. Like if you want to just listen to someone that is just smarter than everyone else, I've never heard him before. Listen to Vitalik Buterin. Wow. Yeah, because he's like twenty-four or something, isn't he? Never heard of who before. I don't know. I've never heard him speak before. Oh right. No, he's, <laughs> he's just, he's very, very smart. Um, wow. Very, very smart dude. But anyway, he was scheduled to speak at a, uh, like an Ethereum conference in South Korea. And I, I think his talk was meant to be on, yeah. you know, like the, the, the roadmap for Ethereum in the next 12 months or something. And, um, and it, <laughs> he got up there and instead just kind of, just kind of stood there and, and had a more general chat about Ethereum. And it turned into like, him essentially saying what a lot of people have been thinking but never thought they'd hear out of like the founder of Ethereum mm. himself. Yeah, he said, if you want to build a decentralized Uber and Lyft on top of an unscalable Ethereum, you are screwed. Full stop. <laughs> because, yeah, what, Ethereum, 15 transactions a second, yeah. Uber, 12 rides a second or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You just, and we add the crypto kitties on top of that, <laughs> you got no chance. No, you don't. You know, but it's it's just so funny hearing that from the founder because I feel like the rest of the community skirts around this a lot. Um, the fact that like Ethereum's big Achilles heel is it's just so damn slow. Mm. Like it's it's slow and it's clunky. He must um, be frustrated by that as anything. Well, he's, that's what he said. He said, "Look, developers must be so frustrated. It's like if you're trying to develop for this stuff and you come to the technology as it is now." 
it must be so frustrating to have to work with it. And he was quite real about the fact that that's not good enough. And while the scaling, that there, there are scaling technologies in the works, they're not here yet. So that was quite entertaining. I mean, it, it's, it's just a, a, a nice reality check from him that essentially saying that things aren't, aren't good enough, they need to improve, and I guess maybe give a wake-up call to everyone else mm-hmm. that that's what they need to be working on. So it's nice to hear he's talking about, you know, all these different scaling solutions, which is something they desperately need to do with that yeah. much. <laughs> with that, what, they, what first... It wasn't build it and they'll come. It was they came and then they need That's to build right. it. That's right. <laughs> and we'll talk about Ethereum a fair bit more in the enterprise blockchain later on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably in the back of his mind too, that like a lot of businesses are now wanting to get involved in this. And mm. if they don't move quick, um, they're going to go somewhere else. Mm. You know, like mm. you've got EOS talking about 10,000 transactions per second. Um with a better architecture than Ethereum has. Now, whether that turns out to be the case is we'll wait to we'll wait to see. But if it does, if it if it even performs half as well as uh, Dan Larimer is saying it might, it's going to be phenomenal. It'll be phenomenal, and it'll be a lot better than Ethereum right now. It may not be as decentralized, but if you're an enterprise, you'll you'll take that hit if it means that you can get everything else. Checking the price of EOS. <laughs> Oh, and there's another another piece that came in. Um, thanks to JC for sharing this in our Slack. Yeah, shout out to JC. He actually uh, he he just drops in every now and then and shares some great stuff. Yeah, he stuff. just he just he walks in, drops a drops a link, and then just Mike drops out. Of there. He's, <laughs> he's a good chat. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, coming out of the Bloomberg article, it's you know George Soros called cryptocurrencies a bubble in January. Now his twenty six billion dollar family office is planning to trade digital assets, and he's picked. You know, neither of us can read the market, and we're not trying to give you any kind of financial advice here. Yeah, it hit a massive high in January. Yeah, and things are pretty low. Mm. You know, from what I'd see, you know, you'd almost call it a, not a bottom, but I mean, it's I, no one can time a market perfectly. But I mean, it's it seems like well, look at this. This looks like that excitement curve. It looks like the Gartner hype cycle. Mm. We're kind of hitting that point where everything kind of settles out, and then things start. Going back up again. Mm. If you look at that, hashtag not investment advice. <laughs> so, yeah, the um, chap who runs the fund got got permission from the from the uh, head honchos. And, um, yeah, so they'll be looking at yeah, trading cryptocurrencies. Uh, for those of you not in Australia, we um, – sorry to keep sharing Australian news, but we, uh, we had a really funny moment happen last week. Our biggest bank, apart from the – Reserve Bank of Australia, had an outage of like five or six hours, I think it was. And within that time, a whole bunch of loans. Uh, <laughs> Joseph's appreciating the the whiskey that we're drinking. I may have just taken two sips <laughs> worth and just sat it there for a half a minute. <laughs> that was, was a lovely. very content look on your face, oh. mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, this, this uh, bank called the Commonwealth Bank had this outage for like five mm. or six hours and all these loans were erased, uh, people's credit histories with the bank were erased mm. there were all these horrible things that happened and they had to rush off to like some secure off-site backup and do a whole bunch of file recovery mm. to get the system back online but while it was offline no one could use or a lot of people couldn't use their cards mm-hmm. they couldn't transact in any way a whole bunch of different transactions kind of ground to a halt because 
the bank system went down. Mm. We had a mate who, who we, we know, we spoke to him, just like, you know, saw the headline, went and spoke to him. He's like, oh, I'm debt free. I'm debt free. <laughs> and he was for about five or six hours, you know. But yeah, and he was like, oh, what if it's gone forever? I was like, bruh, they've got... <laughs> They've got backups because they're not, <laughs> trust they're not me, they're backups. not wiping your money away. Yeah, that's right. Nothing. <laughs> but as you said, it just goes to show why relying on a centralized authority mm. to host all the data, mm. it's a really big issue. It doesn't matter if it's an Australian bank. Yeah. It just shows that having a single source is just a bit of a... Yeah, well, it is. It's 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 a massive weak point. I mean, I tweeted out like the moment I saw the news, I had this big smile on my face, and I was just. I think you came in and in in, in my office, and I was just just. I looked so happy. I was like, and, "Don't say it, don't say it." And you just <laughs> blurted out, "Blockchain." This wouldn't have happened on the blockchain. No. <laughs> but that's and that's why I tweeted out because it was it, it's so true. You know, it, it, nothing that these banks build that aren't, isn't based on blockchain tech can stand up to what a simple blockchain can do. I mean, these guys have got spend millions and millions of dollars on these systems and a free open source blockchain works better. Mm. So come on, Commonwealth Bank, come and join us in the, in the future. That's we'll, right. We'll, we'll have a cup of tea ready for you. The kettle's been boiled. All right, mate, last story, and this is a little bit related to the any money laundering stuff we were talking about before. What's going on in Malta? So... Coming out of Cointelegraph, Malta have said that they want to become the blockchain island. Now, for those who aren't aware, Malta, beautiful island, crystal clear waters, lovely if you go and snorkeling, um, good tourist destination in Europe. So Malta, uh, Malta have essentially just announced a number of legislative changes to their framework that is going to make them a lot more friendly to... Uh, blockchain companies wow. and cryptocurrencies in general. One of their pieces of legislation is actually called the Virtual Currency Bill. And wow. it seems to specifically fo- focus on ICOs. And its goal seems to be to to welcome as many ICOs as it possibly can to come and start up there by having a very wow. loose, enlightened, forward-thinking, kind of free market regulatory fra- framework. Ivan dugs into the, the nuts and bolts of a lot of these bills, but from the the Bits I've seen of the bill so far, it seems like they're trying to make themselves as attractive as possible to blockchain companies to come. And from what I read, it seems like the regulators, so the people that are actually enforcing this stuff, are actually going to be kind of like helping these companies to get set up and established mm-hmm. and, and and work within their framework, which you might think that that happens. You know, you might think that that makes sense, which it, it kind of does. You know, if you've got a government that's meant to be for the people and your regulators are meant to help people keep the regulations, it would make sense that they'd be you know, pretty helpful in helping you get set up. But what actually happens in practice is normally the regulators don't really know what they want to do. Yeah. And to be honest, they normally don't really want to lift any fingers to, to, to do more than they have to. And that normally, normally the first thing that means is that they don't want to help. So if you're a, com- if you're a company and you want to start a business, for example, here in Australia... Um, and you call ASIC, which is like the the organisation mm-hmm. that uh, the government regulator that regulates all the companies, and you call them and you say, "I want to start a business." They'll say, "Well, what are you calling us for?" And you'll say, "Well, you're the you're the regulator. Like you, we pay you. You know, we we pay taxes. Like you, <laughs> you should help us." And I'll say, "No, no, 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 no. We just take you to court if you do the wrong thing." And you say, "Well, what's the wrong thing?" And they say, "Well." Oh, I mean, we're not going to, we, we won't tell you. You're going to have to go see a lawyer and ask them what the wrong thing is. Okay, so I've got to go pay and see a lawyer to make sure that 
I don't get in trouble with you, the regulator. Yeah, that's right. And that seems to be the attitude that most government regulators mm. have. It's very much, we set the regulations and we just enforce it. Hands off. If you do the wrong thing. Except and for punishing. That's right. And, and look, sometimes new, regula- new legislation comes in and they don't even know what the right thing is. But heaven forbid if you just forge on ahead doing what you think is right based on the legislation and they change their mind down the track um, and say, actually, what you did was wrong, they'll normally prosecute you for that with no leniency whatsoever. So, that's the model that's in most of the countries. And what Malta seems to be doing is saying, look, if you want to come here, we'll actually send someone to your business and help you get everything in shape. Um, And if you do that, you may not even have to jump through half the hoops we've got set up for for certain people Mm. because you might already be compliant. And the big news that this has kind of been coupled with is that Binance, like the biggest current cryptocurrency exchange is moving to Malta. Which is super exciting. Oh, my days. So, in this piece, you know, it's saying that Binance wants to offer fiat to cryptocurrency deposits, so regular money to cryptocurrency deposits and withdrawals, which will improve its liquidity and open their platform to new investors entering the space. Like, this is really exciting because it's saying, yeah, it will improve its liquidity, a.k.a. loads more money mm. is going to move into Binance, which means... It reduces you know, a lot of issues on you know, uh, trading because there's more money floating around. Yeah, this is huge. Yeah, so Binance have actually released like a roadmap for their move into Malta. And for those of you guys that don't know, Binance, I think prior to this was set up in Japan. Um, I think that's where they kind of headquartered themselves after that to get out of China. It was either Japan or Singapore, but I think it may have been Japan. Um, and that was because Japan had a pretty forward-thinking blockchain regulate, regulatory approach as well. But Malta has, it seems like they've actively like sat down in their little parliament and gone, what are we got to do? Like, what are we got to do to get as many blockchain companies to come here? Like, we want to be a part of this revolution. And they've essentially gone from that to build their re- regulatory framework, which is opposite to what everyone else has done. Everyone else is going, how can we fit our current regulatory framework to catch as much of this stuff as we possibly can and make as much money from it as we possibly can? So it sounds like we're going to see Gibraltar, which is where a lot of the online casino services are. Mm. It sounds like those two uh, those two islands are going to start competing. Yep. Who can get the most ICOs there? Yeah, it's it's just funny that it's uh, like either current British protectorates or former British colonies, the Cayman uh, Islands. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Virgin Islands. That's ridiculous. right, mate. You know, they, they've got, they seem to have a, a a pretty enlightened approach to this kind of stuff. It's super exciting that they're opening up all this regulation. They're making it very clear through their bills. They've got the Digital Innovation Authority bill, the Technology Arrangements and Service Providers mm. bill, the Virtual Currencies bill that you mentioned. A mixture of all of these things, and it's it's making it very attractive, which is great news for Malta yep. and Maltese property owners. And that's the thing. like you, you, These guys, while they're making it as easy for people to come in, there is still going to be some kind of tax. I mean, there's still a government, mm. so there's still going to be some kind of tax. But by making it easy, by, by making well-thought-out, smart regulation, um, they're positioning themselves to be set up as like a blockchain powerhouse, essentially, as a very friendly regulatory environment. They're going to reap the benefits of that. And 
countries should be paying attention to this mm. stuff. Look you at know? the brand recognition they're getting from this. That's right. I mean, they've got the biggest exchange. Literally, they've changed a few laws and the biggest exchange has moved there. Wow. You know, and, and that's, like, that's how big this stuff is. You know, people are looking for somewhere where they can go and build it. And countries that take the other approach and just try and tax tax people to the hilt, create barriers, set mm. up problems, they're the ones that this next revolution is, they're going to flee. They're not mm. going to base themselves there anymore and they'll get left behind. It's a lesson. It's a real lesson. Yeah, it is. So each episode, we're trying to do a little bit more on privacy and security simply because, first of all, cryptocurrencies are money uh, mm-hmm. and they're quite mm-hmm. valuable and they're also digital. And they're not protected by a lot of the protections we've become used to as people that use the internet for, for the everyday. And so it's 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 a really good thing to be aware of. You know, what what strategies you can take to make yourself more secure, uh, how you can become more private in what you do online and leave a, a lot less of a footprint and mm, make yourself less mm. of a target. So we're really trying every week just to highlight something within mm, that space. Mm. And a lot of it we're teaching ourselves about at the moment too, which is cool. So we're reporting back as we're doing things. So mate, what have you been what have you been looking at these last couple of weeks? But you know what? I was just I came across this video which I'd watched a few years years before it was in my youtube favorites and it's from 2012 from um, defcon which is a big hacking conference that happens in vegas every year now the title of the video is steal everything kill everyone cause total financial ruin now it's by this dude who is paid by night to you know he's got a day job working in computer security but by night he's actually paid to test people's security so and he's a social engineer so it's all about how vulnerable we are to people walking into our office with a clipboard looking official with a fake email on their iPad to convince you they should be there and just how easy it is for him to get past defenses. Now, it's a 40-minute video, I think it is, but absolutely phenomenal. He shows you videos of him just walking around offices, taking things, walking into the kitchen of a five-star hotel. All of these incredible security lapses just because other people are not to be trusted. Um, And it's absolutely fascinating. So worth checking it out. And it's a masterclass on how these social engineers will do things, but also in the same way you have to know how they operate to know how you're vulnerable. Mm. Because honestly, if you're not conned by someone, you don't see how it works. Yeah. So it sort of saves you getting totally, you know, screwed by people just like that. So it kind of, he's just trying to let people know that this stuff is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. Does he talk at all about how to, I mean, apart from just letting them inside your office, does he talk at all about how to combat it? Yeah, he does. So it's, it's, he, he mentions it's, it's all sort of a, a running theme throughout it, but it's things like, um, you know, some people will have doors that say, keep this door shut, mm. and someone props it open to get the breeze through. Mm. Things like that are big lapses. Or other things, you know, post, you can walk through an office, I can guarantee you pick a random office in London, mm. walk into that office, you're going to see on post-it notes on the screen people's passwords. Jeez. I mean, I, got, I saw a photo that was on the internet that was just of someone's computer, and it had post-it note on the side, and you can see their password. And it's... <laughs> That's on the What's internet. the point of having a password? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, fascinating video. Really worth watching. Just watching someone actually committing social engineering, and he's wow. paid to do it. Wow. Fascinating. He's good humor as well. Wow. Um, and he shows some cat memes as well, so it's good fun. It, and look, on that, like, waking us up, 
to all the different security issues in our society. Like that seems to have actually been a pretty big trend the last couple of weeks looking at the media. I mean, this whole Cambridge Analytica thing that's gone on with Facebook Mm. and people finding out that their data has been used in in all sorts of ways, in all Mm. sorts of situations. Which honestly was quite surprising to me because I thought we, I thought everyone knew that Facebook knew mm, everything about them. I mm. mean, but it seems like people are starting to wake up to the fact that these big companies that hold a lot of data may not have their best interest at heart and may be out just to make money from their data as opposed to just being good custodians of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you, if you're not already using some browser extensions or a privacy browser... There are a number of extensions that you can install. Um, mm. There's uBlock Origin. There's AdBlock Plus. A privacy Badger. Privacy Badger yep. from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Mm. Lots of really useful plugins out there. Worth getting involved in that. You know, there's always HTTPS. I can see you've got that on this computer. <laughs> um, some really important things because every web page on the internet where there's a like button from Facebook, yep. they know you're there. Mm. And there are more pages than just that. You know, I know for a, for a fact there's, you know, because you can embed an invisible pixel that tells Facebook everyone who goes on there. Mm. And then they can see that you're there and they can use that to develop stuff based on your interests. Mm. And with Google, it's even worse, isn't it? Because mm. your, your portal, like we've, our portal to the internet has become so much about accessing everything through Google mm. that Google can track us. Pretty mm. much all over the web mm. because most sites now have some form of AdWords or something from Google within it or they, their servers might call Google. Plus, if you're using Google Chrome, That's there right. are some potential issues with that. Oh, there's some big issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> Even anything based on Chrome. Um, mm. I know that Brave, which we've – I think we might have mentioned here before, mm. Brave, um, their architecture is based on Chrome and it came out recently that some of what's going on behind the scenes with Brave uh, is still calling home to Google and still reporting to Google because it's based on Chrome. So there's a lot of that going on and it's it's really worth taking a note of and it's really worth starting to think of how you can you can make some strategies to de-Facebook or de-Google mm. your life. So that's going to be – we're going to focus on that a little bit going forward um, as well as our, our general privacy and security stuff. But mm. one thing that we we have been, been using is, uh, is ProtonMail. Mm. which is actually where our show address is at. So what is ProtonMail? What's that all about? Yeah, so ProtonMail is essentially an encrypted email service. So what it does is each time you open your browser, you can open a new tab and go to ProtonMail and you can log into your ProtonMail account from that browser portal. But it it essentially encrypts all your traffic going in and then encrypts all your traffic going out. So when you first sign up for an account, you sign up to your email address and then you get a a set of keys. So you Mm -hmm. get public and private keys and there's a a level of encryption you can choose. And it essentially means that your internet, your email traffic and all your activities inside that email browser can't be monitored. No one's monitoring them. Even ProtonMail, who runs everything... They're based in Switzerland. They're based in Switzerland, yeah. So there's And and they're very, very privacy-focused in all their media. But even they can't see a lot of what goes on inside your your own email because it's all encrypted with your own keys. Uh, They do have recovery procedures, but it's a lot harder for them just to peek in, like Google can just peek in. And you'll notice when you're using Gmail or uh, Outlook or any any you know third-party email provider, they will serve you ads 
literally based on the emails mm. that you're you're sending and you're receiving, and they're essentially watching everything you write. Mm. Um, and if you're if you're sending email from Proton Mail account to Proton Mail account, you can actually have the whole thing encrypted, so nothing within that traffic really uh, can be decrypted unless you have the keys mm. and you're sending that as like a signature to your e- with your email address so it's really really good I've been using it now for probably six to nine months Proton right. Mail um, and I've got a some uh, not just my own email address set up in there but I've, I've been able to set up other website addresses in there so some domains I've brought you can right. you can do everything you can normally do with other email providers within ProtonMail I've found and it's mm. it's just a lot more peace of mind. Um, mm. I barely use my Gmail or Microsoft accounts now except for spam. Excellent. ProtonMail. So you can check that out at protonmail.com. We've, um, we haven't had much contact from our regular guests. Uh, Dan Dan, the ICO man, has gone very quiet. Mm. Um, I'm a little bit concerned he might be uh, laying low um, from uh, prosecution from a couple of state governments. Jordan has, uh, mate, ever since we got that call from him in Vladivostok, we just have not heard from him. Yeah, he goes for the long-term pranks, doesn't he? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not concerned yet. Yeah. I'm not concerned yet. But, uh, look, we, we, we couldn't leave the episode without at least one guest. Um, so we've, we're going to drop in on a conversation that I had uh, recently with a guy by the name from, of Larry from the, the Somerset region in Britain. And, and Larry called in essentially wanting to discuss his view on Bitcoin. So we'll, we'll drop in and, and have a bit of a listen to that. Hmm. All right, Matt. All you just wanted is to see Bitcoin ain't going to last. You see, these things come and go, you see. All you remember, it must have been about 20 years ago now, what a young Waterstat was talking about this new thing called electronic mail. Right? Can you believe it? Oh, hi. Oh, he said to him at the time, I said, George, it's just like the last thing for LSD tripping hippies to get excited about. You can't send mail along the telephone lines. I'm flat out getting calls along the telephone lines. It'll never take off. And it ain't. The Royal Mail still comes up my driveway every day, stops in for a quick cut of tea, delivers me mail. Can you get that with electronic mail? No, you can. And that's why it's never taken off. These Bitcoins would be exactly the same, wouldn't it? So... What about um, so, you, Larry? You said that cars. This car comes up your driveway. There was a time when horse and carts were the the way that things were transported. Look, my grandfather said to me at the time. He said, "Look, there's always going to be a job for horses after the the motor vehicle came along, right?" And there were. He ain't wrong, my grandfather, and I ain't wrong like he ain't wrong. I mean, think about how many horse races there are. There are loads of them. Loads of them, and then you're telling me there's going to be nothing for us to do when cars come out. You're just, you're talking crazy talk to me, mate. Okay, so Larry, you must have seen emails somewhere, though. Everyone has email addresses everywhere. Power, like your power bill, you can't even get your power bill set, mailed to you most of the time anymore. They have, they want to email it to you. Look, I ain't received a power bill for at least at least since 2012. So don't come telling me. The email is going to change the world. Oh, you ain't received nothing. So, Larry, you must have heard of these things called credit cards then. Have you used one of those? Look, since I joined this financial system, mate, I've been just using my... I've been using it. Look, the Royal Mint don't make these coins for no one to use them, do we? Or we don't 
credit or you don't card or you do nothing or you, or you take the money out of my wallet and I pay him directly. So you pay for everything in cash? Yeah, and if, if you got an address, I'll post it to you, won't I? All right, well, tell me this then, Larry. What you buy right now, like you go down to the store, you pay one bob for a, for a loaf of bread. How much did a loaf of bread cost you 30 years ago? system, wasn't it? So, why would it matter the difference in the price between then? It was three pence back then, but three pence are different now, isn't it? Sorry. What, is it shillings or a farthing? Something like that? I don't know. Well, you still got farthings, though. They're a pretty good coin. So, you have to pay a lot more for your bread now than you did 30 years ago? Oi, I've got a, what, a big 1p collection, but that's not the point, isn't it? Can we at least agree that your money is worth less now than it was 30 years ago. No, I got more money than I had 30 years ago, didn't I? Yeah, but everything costs you more as well, Larry. Are you being thick? No, Larry, I'm trying to explain to you why Bitcoin is the future of money. You're coming over to me telling me that inflation is making my money worth less. Inflation obviously means it's inflated, doesn't it? So, of course, with inflation, I've got more money. I don't think it's that hard for someone to understand. Larry, thank you for your time. A very, very refreshing view on uh, on just the general state of things. We'll try and discuss Bitcoin at a at another juncture. New always meet more. Dad always said I was a quick learner, and I ain't let him down yet. Except obviously when he died, and I had to lower him into his grave. Enterprise blockchain, Joe. Talk to me. So businesses are putting huge amounts of money, there's a huge amount of interest mm. in the blockchain and how it can transform business. Mm. So a lot of them are putting big budgets into it. Um, so this week we're talking about what are they doing, what might they, what might they be trying to work on, mm. and um, how can we benefit from that? Yeah, position ourselves to, to be involved in that somehow. Precisely. Yeah, look, and it, it goes back to... Uh, Essentially, you, you look back at anything. You look back at any kind of technological um, evolution or invention or whatever. Mm. Firstly, it was normally the military or um, one part of society. But very soon, you see businesses and especially large businesses with like the enterprises come in and look to harness that technology because where there is a potential for evolution, there's a potential for more profits. Mm. or to get ahead of your competitor. Mm. Um, so it makes sense that as this blockchain stuff has matured and people have started to realise the potential that the increasingly big driving force behind it would be business mm. and enterprise. So when we say enterprise, we essentially just mean business. So what is, what is one of the big things that businesses need when they approach blockchain especially big businesses yeah there's 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 a few things and and the main things you really need is operability reliability and standards by which to run everything on and cooperate with everything else in the space um and the reality is business has certain needs that the public blockchains we know may not or can't cater for um and that is why we're starting to hear this term enterprise blockchain. It's simply because enterprises looking at the blockchain sphere and saying, we like what they're doing, but we might need to shift it a bit, change it a bit so it suits our needs. So why would enterprise need blockchain? Do you know, ultimately, a lot of this stuff 
takes money to develop. And as great as open source is, there aren't necessarily at the moment, well, there there is a growing community around that, but the funding to mm. get stuff built is really what's needed because developers got to pay their bills. Yeah, and, and look, developers can get paid really well in a lot of other places at the moment. I mean, it's not mm. like there's a... A huge amount of developers getting around. There's a lot. There's a lot of people uh, seeking jobs. It's generally that a lot of people are seeking developers, mm. and developers can can pick and choose what they want to do more and more. Mm. Um, but the benefits of this stuff has become really apparent for business really quickly. And there's a there's a quote I saw recently from Martin Vidler, who's the ch- chief Techni- technology officer of Active Ticketing PLC. And he says that the ticketing industry is cl- crying out for security and immutable state with regards to ticket distribution to mitigate the growing nefarious agents that operate in this space. He goes on to say blockchain, focused and applied in the right way, has massive benefits to both artists and consumers. And that seems to be generally echoed all around the industry. A lot of of businesses are looking at this and they're going, this distributed ledger technology allows us to take trust out of a lot of our daily transactional lives, out of a lot of areas where we have to trust other parties. And instead, we can trust the maths. Mm -hmm. And if we can build the systems around trusting the maths and putting in a distributed ledger that's immutable and very hard to attack, it's going to mean so much, so many benefits for everyone, consumer and business. Mm. So, mate, talk to us a bit about specifically Enterprise Ethereum because I think that's the furthest along. When you look at what has the most momentum behind it, maybe in line with Hyperledger as well, but Enterprise Ethereum seems to be the one where there's a big push. So a lot of the core parts of Ethereum are make up this public Ethereum, but there are things that businesses need that the the core part of Ethereum doesn't cover. Things like, you know, permissioning, you know, making sure that, you know, your new employees, you want to give them some access to do stuff, but you don't want to give them the keys to the castle. Mm. Um, so you, you've got things like that, management systems, even like off-chain trusted execution yeah especially between large enterprises that's mm. something that's going to that's that's something that's being asked for and then you know private consensus so just the banks can sort of have systems between themselves for example or mm. insurance companies um, and even sort of you know what happens if the encryption in on which ethereum is built breaks businesses have sort of say you know are asking you know, what can we do in case this encryption is not right mm. how do we switch to something else yeah and that's sort of there are a few different areas that yeah enterprises are looking to tackle what are the big ones from your perspective uh, yeah so I, I think i think some of the big ones from my perspective is the uh the the off-chain solutions um the private transactions i think there's there's a a, a lot of nervousness around the enterprise community that this public ledger stuff, there's really good benefits, but there's it also means that everything's out there in the open. Right. You know, and if someone figures out that account X, Y, and Z are a certain company's accounts and they're mm-hmm. doing all their transactions from that account, it wouldn't be too hard for them to then follow the transactions and work out where all the money's going and mm-hmm. they could potentially indirectly give away certain secrets um, mm. or certain trade practices or 
whatever. Mm. Um, and so there, a lot of the enterprise are saying, look, we love some of the features of this stuff, but we also want some privacy. Mm. We want to be able to transact in a more private way with certain other stakeholders or certain other companies. And they're looking to side chains or off-chain solutions to, to do that. And there's a lot of stuff as well that enterprise have built that they want to be able to work with the blockchain. They don't want to necessarily have to migrate everything onto the blockchain. They mm. just want to be able to tie a lot of it to the blockchain, build certain solutions on top of it, uh, but still be able to have all their own proprietary software running off on the sidelines mm -hmm. and not having to port all that over to the blockchain as well. So essentially what companies want is flexibility. They want the benefits of the decentralization without necessarily having everything out in the open. Mm. So mate, what enterprise projects are, are out there at the moment? So there are a number of different projects out there. Um, Hyperledger um, is backed by the Linux Foundation. So it's a big open source movement, mm. which covers a lot of the different areas on that. You've also got um, Corda by an organization called R3. You've got Quorum, which is being looked at by JP Morgan. Um, you've got um, um, the Qtum project, or is that? I think it's Quantum. I think that's how they want it to be pronounced. Quantum. Um, and then you've got Microsoft are working on building a lot um, stuff within their Azure um, cloud yeah. services platform. And yeah. then you've got IBM blockchain, which, mm. you know, for running on IBM systems, I believe. Yeah, and they're doing a lot of Hyperledger stuff too, mm. I think. And we'll just run through a couple of specific ones. Um, the first one, uh, which, which caught my eye actually only a couple of days ago because it's only recently kind of come out is what's called Hyperledger Sawtooth by Intel. And oh. up to this stage, Intel had stayed relatively quiet in relation to blockchain, but it seems like they'd been working on this Sawtooth project uh, based on the Hyperledger fabric themselves. And it, what, what it's designed to do is essentially integrate with other Hyperledger products. Um, and it, they want to tackle some very specific use cases which they see, see business needing. So they want to tackle on-chain governance, right. for example. They want to, be, to, to build a product for on-chain governments which can use smart contracts to vote on different ways to configure the blockchain right. um, and allow a, a lot of people to participate using smart contracts in different ways. Right. What, what other sort of things does, the, does Hyperledger Sawtooth cover? Yeah, so they're looking at advanced transaction execution. Um, so they want to be able to process transactions in parallel. Wow. So at the moment with Ethereum, you can only process transaction in series you know you can mm -hmm. one after another like essentially about 15 transactions per second mm -hmm. uh, what intel are looking at and they've they've developed the core tech with this sawtooth is being able to process transactions in parallel mm -hmm. with a, essentially a bunch of side chains um, all tied to ethereum and this has got sort of support for Ethereum from the outset? This yeah, Ethereum. And I think I, I, I'm pretty sure they're developing it for other blockchains as well. So I don't think it's just Ethereum, but um, so much is happening on Ethereum at the moment that th that's where a lot of the efforts are being focused. But I, the one thing that really piqued my interest with this, this Sawtooth stuff is that they are looking to be very, very flexible in the way they're running their, their platform. So they want to be able to... To, to have what's called dynamic consensus, which right. means that if you if your organization is a small organization, it might make sense for you to have everyone involved in all the decisions. Mm -hmm. But then let's say you get to 20 people and you say, well, that's not really appropriate anymore. We need to, to, to split the decision making up and we need to have some people that don't make many decisions and some people that make more decisions. Well, instead of having to redevelop all your technology in your, you know, decentralized organization or mm. whatever to, to deal with that, um, you can just 
swap the the consensus protocols out using this hyperledger stuff. So you can wow. say, well, this model actually works better. I'm just going to swap that one in, and bam, it's done. Which is really really interesting. Or if if you need uh, better scaling. Mm-hmm. with your internal transactions and um and the ethereum algorithm has been working for you but actually the the dash or w- whatever other project algorithm may work better for you um then you can upgrade or swap that, that hot swapping on right. the fly mm. um and their other focus too is that they really want to a lot of different people to be able to program this stuff. Right. Um, so they they want people to be able to program smart contracts in their language of choice. So whether that be Go, JavaScript, Python, uh, C++, or any of the other major players, they're trying to offer support for as many people as possible. Wow. So just, I, I guess to sum that sort of stuff up, Hyperledger is they describe it as a modular platform for building, deploying, and running distributed ledgers yeah but look it's just it's 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 really interesting to see uh, the uh, that these big companies are identifying the use cases that that are needed for mm. um uh for for big business and then they're developing this tech which let's be honest like a lot of the blockchain world have, have been trying to develop for a long time in an open source manner mm. um but it's just incredible to see how quickly things can get done when it's business backing it you know it's a big company like intel paying all the money for it um they've moved pretty quick on this stuff and it's really interesting to see so the next big project is Corda by uh, an organization called r3 now r3's got a big team i think it's 160 odd people um which is wow. not insignificant um and they've got they say that they've got a gl- growing global ecosystem which comprises of more than 200 companies and regulators on six continents and they say it makes it one of the largest collaborations of its kind in the blockchain space. Now, they've built, they're working on Corda, which is an open source blockchain project designed for business from the start. They say that um, it lets you build interoperable blockchain networks that, serve, that can transact in strict privacy. So they've got smart contract technology. Um, so some interesting sort of stuff in there. Um, it's a, there's a bunch of information on their website, but it, there are more than 60 big companies you would have heard of involved. And uh, they've got partners including Accenture, so a big consulting firm. Um, you've got HP, uh, Intel are involved as well, Microsoft. So That's it's a huge list. So, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of these businesses are sort of saying, look, we want to get, yeah, Microsoft don't want to sort of put all their eggs in one mm. basket. I think they've probably learned that in the past. They're sort of putting some, putting a few fingers in a few pies because we honestly don't know what's going to, who's going to have you know, a seat when the music stops. Mm. So, Really interesting project. Um, a bunch of stuff in there. Use cases for a, a, a number of large industries. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one as well that's out there. Mm. So the next one is Quorum, um, which is, funnily enough, <laughs> um, done by JP Morgan. Which <laughs> I feel like, mate, only about six months ago we were we were quoting Jamie Dimon. We were quoting Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan saying that Bitcoin is a fraud and that we'll never ever amount to anything and then here we are six months later and they've got an enterprise ready distributed ledger and smart contract platform which is free to use out in the wild wow you you kind of think there must have been some jp morgan executive who is working on this quorum project (laughs) seeing jamie diamond make a fool of himself (laughs) and then 
Yeah. Yeah, because they, they can't have just been working on this the last six months. Like, if you if you go to this website and you look through their platform, it's quite clear they've been working on this for a fair while. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, essentially what it says is that Quorum is an enterprise-focused version of Ethereum. So, it's based on Ethereum. It's, it's kind of like a fork of Ethereum, I guess. And what they say is that Quorum is ideal for any application requiring high speed and high throughput processing of private transactions within a permission group of known participants. And they say it addresses the specific challenges to blockchain technology adoption within the financial industry and beyond. So it seems very targeted towards the financial industry in particular. And they do say, like, one of their core points is that they want high throughput and, like, high performance. Mm. So it's for institutional transaction volume. So massive. It's a, it sounds like a big deal. Yeah. And, look, this is where you're starting to see the... Uh, the co-opting of a lot of the public stuff. It's quite clear looking through the quorum documentation that they've taken all the bits from Ethereum that they've liked, Mm -hmm. but they've said, we now can develop something that's very specific for our use case. Mm -hmm. And, And that seems to be what they're doing. What I'm finding most fascinating about this whole thing is these are big companies saying this is open source. Yep. Now, to my logic... Companies going with open source just doesn't seem to click with <laughs> the current economic model. Yeah. But, you know, JP Morgan on the site, they're saying, look, open source code, it's inviting collaboration and hoping it gets, you know, stronger and better. Now, they've got, you know, it's under the same sort of license as Ethereum. So, kind of crazy. Yeah, it is It is a little bit weird. I, I got to admit, mate, when I saw that it was free to use, I did a double take and I had to actually look a little bit further just to check that they were serious about it. But... I think what we're seeing is that companies are learning that open source doesn't mean less secure or, or worse. I think pre- that, that's how we associate it a lot of the time simply because that's what it used to mean, <laughs> really. Mm. Um, but what the blockchain has taught us is that having a lot of people work on something and, and work to try and hack things and break things and add bits to it actually makes a better system. Mm. And if you open it up, so if you say everyone can, can, can use it and can work on it, it not only makes it better for them, but it makes it better for you because you're essentially getting free development on your platform. Mm. Quorum is always going to be JP Morgan's platform and they're going to be the ones that, at least for now, know how to use it the best. So any development that other people want to do on it can only really benefit them because they're the ones implementing it with their customer base, which mm. is huge. Um, so it's yeah, mate, it's, it's it's really really interesting just to see that there's that that mindset shift there between how it used to be mm. and uh, where everything mm. was kept mm. really close to their chest um, and how it is now. It's beautiful, absolutely it's amazing great. to see. It's really really good. So Microsoft. They run this sort of cloud platform, Microsoft Azure or Asia. I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, and so you can like rent service space and there's a bunch of like th- hundreds of things, like different uh, solutions that they offer. It's mm. similar to sort of Amazon's web services and then Google have their Firebase and all their comp- cloud computing, all that stuff. Yeah. Microsoft have their version and they're doing a huge amount of stuff on the blockchain. You've been really excited about this recently. You've been doing like looking into this quite a bit. Yeah. Tell us what you've, what you come across. Yeah. So I first heard an interview with uh, Marley Gray on the software engineering daily podcast. I think it's called, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And Uh he's the head of Azure blockchain. So Microsoft have made a whole department uh, in their web services specifically for blockchain. And, 
the more I heard from this guy and the more I just heard about what they were doing, the more I had to dig deep. So I've spent probably the last few days just knee deep in all of their technical documents and really trying to get a good idea of what they're doing. And man, I've got to admit, I'm really, really excited. Just just seeing what Microsoft are doing and how much they've bought into this blockchain stuff. And very similar to what you were talking about with JP Morgan, how um, how eager they are to open source all this stuff as well. Right. Um, is it's unreal and it's just so cool to see. So, and look, the other thing that got me about Marley Gray too is that apart from everything else, he had a really good explanation of why enterprise blockchain makes sense. Mm-hmm. And he said, imagine if you have like all of the world's information in one place, like it's in a library, okay? Right. Just one library. Okay, I can let's, imagine that. Let's call it the Library of Alexandria because it's funny. And the problem with having it all in one place is that if you put all your knowledge there, it's easy if someone gets control of that library mm-hmm. uh, to for them to change it, change things in the library, to, yeah. to pull pages out of books and mm. put another page in, saying something completely different. Say it. Google. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, sorry. It's, sorry. Yeah. Don't let me interrupt. Joe had to get it out. <laughs> I was on the verge of twitching. <laughs> you should just in Joe's face. He was just, you were really in distress there for a little bit. Sorry, he was saying, so <laughs> if you've got the Library of Alexandria and it's all in one place and one guardian controlling it. Mm. You have to trust the guardian who's right. controlling it. And you have to trust that they're always going to do the right thing. Mm. And if someone puts a book in that library about how terrible the Guardian is yep. and how they how they they really smell and uh, they're not a very nice person. Lots of nasty things. And they treat all the other library employees like 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 crap. Um, you have to trust that that librarian is uh, honourable enough mm-hmm. and uh, self-critical enough to leave that book sitting there in the shelf. You know, so anyone can come along and open up a book and see just how bad that librarian is. And, I mean, you know, we all know that human nature would mean that the librarian, the first thing they'll do once that book's been placed there is go and either take that book Mm -hmm. or they'll change parts in the book and make it Mm. to talk about how good the librarian is. Because not all librarians are like Ron Paul. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, I don't need to get political. Um, But, you know, or if let's say someone else controls the library and they decide they want to burn it down, you know, Mm. they burn it down, that's all the world's knowledge gone Mm. if it's in one place. Um, Now, and he he said, look, okay, so we that didn't work. And so we started putting our knowledge in a bunch of different places, a bunch of different libraries. But... And eventually, you know, humanity moved on. We, we made the internet uh, and it was meant to be like a big decentralized thing, but we've still got that mm. problem of information centralization. Mm. Even if we've got several servers that host all the information, it's still held up really within just a few different providers. Mm. Um, and we just have to trust that they're doing the right thing and that information isn't being changed or tampered with. The thing with blockchain is that you can have the exact copy of the blockchain anywhere in the world. Um, So you can have that library of Alexandria all over the world. And if you have a librarian that comes and takes uh, a book out of that library, all the other libraries can instantly know, hang on, that's being tampered with. Mm. We're going to cut that library out Mm. or we're going to correct the error. Um, or you can't even, they won't even be able to pull the book out, you know, mm. because the record is tamper proof. So, how did he tie this into enterprise and why that, what that means for enterprise? Yeah, so he said for enterprise, at the moment, it, it, the problem is probably the worst with enterprise because a lot of them, a lot of enterprise just have their own servers. Mm. And it's kind of like this big gold mine just sitting there. And I mean, we've seen it with, with hack after hack after hack. 
these enterprises have these huge information treasure troves just sitting there mm. and um, it's not really spread out. It's not distributed. But the blockchain, you can spread it all out while you maintain security through cryptography mm-hmm. and trustlessness. Mm. And that makes sense for business. If you can do that, you know, if you go to a business owner and you say, you don't need to worry about your servers anymore. We are going to make it so that your information can't be attacked because it's distributed. And also, you don't even need to trust the, where we store it because it's it's secured by maths mm-hmm. and you don't have to trust anyone else to store it for you either. Mm. The business owner is going to go, wow, like, sign me up. Like, that's great. Mm. A, I get to get rid of all my uh, whole bunch of overheads mm-hmm. that I've currently got with server security and uh, maintenance and all sorts of things like that. Um, but... I no longer need to trust that whoever's storing my data, if it's off-site, mm-hmm. uh, is storing it securely because I, because there's there's algorithms in there, there's hashes, there's all sorts of things that can tie that information to all the other bits of information. Mm. And that was really interesting, Matt. I, 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 and, and I've never heard of it put like that before, but it was it was really good to hear. So that sounds super keen. How, what are Microsoft doing, and where's their where's their focus? What what sort of things are they bringing into the game? Yeah, so Microsoft, like me, they seem to be very excited about smart contracts, right. um, and they're focusing on using on-chain and off-chain solutions to make smart contract platforms that work really well wow. and can fit a lot of enterprise use cases. That seems to be their focus. They're saying this smart contract stuff, which is going to be built on the blockchain, is dynamite, and we need to make it as easy for businesses to, to build that and deploy it as efficiently as possible mm. um, as soon as we can. And so they've come up with this concept of cryptlets. And what a cryptlet essentially is, is a small piece of code that's bi-directional. So it can touch the cloud where a lot of the data and, um, and programs and APIs and all sorts of things are now, mm. like in our internet as we know it. But it also at the same time can touch the blockchain. And the idea is for these little pieces of code, these cryptlets, to be plug and play into smart contract. Um, and, and they say it best themselves. It says Microsoft and other third parties will offer cryptlet libraries that expose functionality that's both horizontal and vertical in nature. For example, as a consumer of cryptlets, you may browse the cryptlet libraries in the tool of your choice looking for a cryptlet to provide notification services that awaken your smart contract based on some kind of event. You may also want additional functionality from this service like providing market prices when the smart contractor wakes up. Once you find that cryptlet, the cryptlet that does that thing that you're interested in using, you can simply make a reference to that cryptlet and use it to subscribe to a notification service, providing it with what you want to be awakened and what data you want when you're notified. The cryptlet infrastructure will test the security, authenticity and reliability of the service and data provided along with digital signatures for the cryptlet and the attested host for the audit. Now, that's that's a whole bunch of technical terms, but what it essentially means is that you can get a piece of code that is is verified trustworthy because yeah. that's, that's the big challenge at the moment is getting these oracles, they call them, which can kind of come in from outside the blockchain yeah. and provide information. So Microsoft's saying we're going to provide an additional framework where we're going to have these trusted programs mm-hmm. that can provide information from the cloud into the blockchain. And all you need to do is write a couple of lines of code to get that information in. And you can then have, when something happens outside, you know, like let's say, let's say it's a code based on the sale of a digital album. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the moment someone clicks buy 
on that digital album and pays the five dollars um, or the equivalent in Ethereum, uh, that cryptlet will um, will report. So it will first of all acknowledge that that buy has been been processed, yep. and then it will report that back to the smart contract that it's associated with, mm. and that smart contract will say, okay, there's been a purchase. Now fifty percent of that. Uh, so wake the contract up. Mm-hmm. And what does the contract say? Well, it says that 50% of that purchase price is to go to the artist mm-hmm. and 50% of that purchase price is to go to the platform. Do it. And it'll execute. So you'll be able to see, first of all, that the cryptlet reported the sale was made, mm-hmm. the money came in, and it was sent 50-50 to the two parties. Um, and that's kind of the idea of it. So it's kind of like that bridge between mm. uh, the outside world mm. and the blockchain. Wow. That's super huge. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that final sentence from that release is just, that's key. It says, the crypto infrastructure will attest to the security, authenticity, and reliability of the service and data provided. That is huge. Mm. Like, that's such a big deal. Yeah. And I'm sure that's probably the first thing that attackers will try and poke to death to see if they can find flaws in. Yeah. I'd be really interested to like find out more about that. That's really keen. It's a, it, look, if you've got the time uh, and you're at all technically minded, it's really worth a read. We'll put some of the links in the, in the show notes to their documentation. Right. Um, I haven't been this excited in a while, just looking at what someone's building. I think Microsoft really get it. And you can see because, I mean, Microsoft has this massive suite. Now, their share price is, you know, where it is. It's not, you know, seeing growth like, you know, some of these tiny companies. Yeah. But they've got a solid suite of products mm. and, you know, knowing, knowing, you know, having used some of their like random bits, like, you know, I remember Visio from back in the day. I mm. mean, they still have it. You could like build flow charts and cool things like that. And yeah. Random things like that. You just think, imagine if you can just start building, drag and drag. It feels like, you know, Blockcat are looking at this. Yeah. Micro, like, it, it'd be interesting to see how Microsoft are looking to sort of plug that into a lot of their business stuff. Yeah. You know, they've got their Dynamics 365. So for customer customer relationship management stuff, being able to take your customer data, plug that into other parts of your cloud system mm. and, you know, transact. Oh, mate, it's so exciting. I yeah. mean, uh, good on them for just, just going with it. Yeah, and look, I think that from from what I've gleaned from from all their media and, and what they've been saying, and even just looking at what they're building, it seems like they're really making a big effort to try and integrate this stuff as much as possible into existing workflows. Just mm-hmm. to say to businesses, look, um, we understand you can't be fully decentralized straight away. You can't just put everything on the blockchain. So let's let's work out how we can start that process. Let's just get you beginning to do that stuff and let's make it as easy as possible for you to do it. Mm. Um, And that seems to be the approach they're taking and it seems like they're building their smart contracts infrastructure to accommodate that, to say, you don't need to have it all. You can just start building these contracts and they can make calls Mm. to other parts of your workflow, you know, other other parts of your stuff and... um, I think it's a really good approach. Yeah, and it, it, it it it's it's really exciting. To Clearly, see some great minds have been cr- thinking about these problems for years on end. Now that's it's not just a someone had that idea in his bath. There's some there's a, there's a lot of thought that's gone into this. Yeah, yeah. So that's Microsoft Azure blockchain. Mm. Um, 
then we've got some sort of organisation. So that was discussing consensus earlier. Who we went to the uh, to, to a talk done by uh, David Highland 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 Wood Highland Wood. Yeah, really fascinating talk on standards. We'll get onto the standards part shortly. Consensus is one of these big organisations. Um, consensus with a S Y S at the end. Mm. Massive company. I think it's like 600 plus staff. They're constantly hi- they're hiring hundreds of developers yeah. at the moment. I mean. You look they at can't like, get developers quick enough. Oh, they're yeah. hiring DevOps engineers around the world. You can work mm. from home. You work in your. You can work in your in you know in your underwear, sitting at home. I mean, so we, I met a boat called Sam. Yeah. Um, Pospy, I think his his online handle is. Um, shout out to you, mate, if you're listening. Uh, and he he works up. He lives up north at one of the coasts. Right. And he um, he said, mate, it's it's. He works for Consensus. He said, it's great. I live 20 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the rainforest. I remote in for all my dev work. Wow! I come to come to Brisbane whenever I need to. That's amazing. And and they're they're doing a lot of consulting. So businesses are saying we've got we want to get on this stuff. Yeah. How? Yeah. And then they got you know hundreds of people at you. They got project managers. They got QA engineers, mm. like quality assurance people. Mm. They've got developers, mm. and they've got you. You know, if you hired consensus, you'd have some brilliant brains. Mm dissecting your problem making your business more efficient than you ever wanted it to be mm. um really fascinating stuff so they're they're a business that they're pushing a number of different areas both consulting with businesses working on standards which we'll get onto shortly but really interesting sort of um company there yeah and look hooking in with that there's this there's this organization called the enterprise ethereum alliance and it's a big player in this space and a lot of a lot of what we've talked about in fact pretty much all we've talked about previously all those companies are members of the enterprise ethereum alliance Mm. and their focus is on partnering with a lot of the existing enterprise in the tech world and saying let's build this thing out let's come to a a set of standards Mm. let's um let's make it as easy as possible for all of us to play in this sandbox and to and to move everything forward and so they're the ones that are working with a lot of different governments on regulations and they're working on different types of papers and they've got different working groups and their their goal seems to essentially be to make it as frictionless as possible for businesses to work together but yeah so there you know while this is super exciting there are a bunch of challenges with this as well what are, what's the first big challenge that you that we we can see I think the first big challenge is that you've got, uh, while we talk about Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and standards and all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, it seems like a lot of these companies are trying to do the same thing. Um, uh, and they're trying to do the same thing in different ways, mm. using different uh, different blockchain architectures, different governance protocols, different approaches, different programming languages. And the problem at the moment is that a lot of that stuff just can't, it just doesn't talk to each other. Mm. Um, the, there's still a lot of work being done on, and I think it's, it'll get there, you know, cross blockchain mm-hmm. communication will get there. Uh, a lot of the other interoperability will get there, but eventually all this stuff has to connect. And I think a, a big challenge is going to be kind of pulling this all together um, and making it all connect with the different technologies that have been developed. So that's one challenging challenge I see. Another thing is the is the standards. You're exactly right. I mean, you've got all these companies. Now, I guess it's okay that they're, you know we we don't all work on the same thing. Mm. But yeah, is so you've got Hyperledger, you've got yeah the the quarter platform, you've got J P Morgan Squorum, and 
you wonder sort of what's going to win there because yeah. there are a few different ones out there. But I guess this is almost like the Blu-ray, you know, Blu-ray versus HD that we talked about the other week. Yeah. Like, it's really sort of we'll see what wins through, but it kind of means you have to look at all of them yeah. until someone finally wins when the dust settles. Yeah, it's 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 almost created another yeah. political like scaling kind of debate between mm. that because in the moment like we've always focused on like oh bitcoin versus ethereum versus dash versus eos versus whatever else mm. but there's a whole nother conflict brewing and that's between like hyperledger versus microsoft mm. deserve versus quarter versus quorum you know like i think it's going to be just as essential for businesses to work out not just what blockchain architecture they're going to use but who's uh, platform they're going to spin up on top of it. And even at the meetup we were at the other day, there was um, one of the dudes at the end, he was saying, look, one of the other big things we've got with blockchain tech is what block producing algorithm do we use? And I mean, that's another big one that's going to be, yeah. you know, we're going to see something totally different to what's currently there now yeah. in 10 years. Because we've already covered a few, haven't we? we I mean, we've, we've covered proof of work, proof of stake. Um, so t- just to put names to each of them, proof of work for Bitcoin, proof of stake for... Uh, uh, PIVX, mm-hmm. delegated proof of stake, which is like EOS, mm-hmm. and uh, Byzantine fault tolerance, delegated that's, Byzantine fault tolerance. That's NAM? Which is NEO. NEO. Yep. Yeah. And then you've got, um, what is it? Um, proof, proof of, of existence. Of, proof of existence. And then there's like proof of space time or something like yeah. that, which is the... Um, that storage one was I think it? I, storage. Yeah. yeah, I think IBM have one, a new one coming out as well. I mean, it's else. like that's proof the, of intelligence or something. I don't right, know. It's ridiculous. Like, yeah. so yeah, there's going to be a whole other argument there, but we'll save that for a, another episode. Yeah. You know, will the will the last block producing thing please stand up? So, mate, if you're an enterprise then and you're looking at this and you're going, okay, this is just this is overwhelming. Um, I don't even know where to begin on this stuff. What is what, what's what's an answer? What what's some way that we can we can bring all this together and agree in some kind of manner on how things are done? So that would be standards. That's where standards come together. Now, if you've you know if if you're not familiar with what standards are, you know you'll have seen. Uh, for everything that's possibly around you in the world, there is a standard for it. There's a standard for, you know, you'll often see ISO and then a bunch of numbers. There's like an ISO numbers for a credit card. So there's actually a uniform standard for the sizes of credit cards. There's ISO standards for how you wire your electrical sockets, how you manufacture your glass, how you, you know, the angles of stairs, how to build for disabilities Mm. and accessibility and stuff like that. Yeah. Every possible thing, how you store your data, how you everything, there is a standard. Well, now. laws are a type of standard as well. Like yeah. the laws we all live by, that's a standard that wow. you're expected to meet. Yeah, mm. exactly. So there's, it's in the very early stages. And the talk that we went to the other day um, was by David Highland Wood of Consensus. I think we mentioned him earlier. But um, really fascinating. He was explaining how the standards are being developed. He was saying, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of companies that are in, uh, are interested in this mm. of those companies you know like one person from each is probably f- you know f- looking at the standards mm. you know of so that gives you maybe a thousand people around the world are looking at building these standards of those you know he's saying like oh maybe there are five or ten people writing the standards yeah and then another sort of 50 people around that who are sort of commenting on it yeah. debating and then you've got sort of 
the re- the rest of the people outside are either just watching or debating outside of that, mm. but not necessarily contributing. So these are they're, they're really hashing out a bunch of the big problems with this at the moment. Um, you know, lots of different stakeholders, lots of different. You know, he was saying there are insurance companies who are big on this. You know, the pharmaceutical companies. You've got the big banks, and they've all got things that they're looking for here. So pharmaceutical companies, for example, is compliance is a big mm. thing. You know, mm. if you're writing text to go on the side of a bottle. Um, you know, of, of pills that needs to go through legal marketing, yeah. you know, a million times before it gets approved. Yeah. So they've got a different set of requirements. Yeah. So the standards that they're building around this, they're still working on. Yeah. Yeah. And look, the thing about standards is that once you can agree on like a common form of a common way to do stuff, it then lets everyone play on like an equal playing field. It means there's a better level of interoperability mm-hmm. between those people. And it just, it smooths over all of the rough edges. It kind of it kind of means that people can go, okay, well, this is the way we're going to do things. And the internet was a lot like this early on. Um, there's a lot of parallels you can draw between mm-hmm. how the internet was early on and how we are here. There are a whole bunch of different protocols. No one really know, knew what was going to, to win out, but then there were organizations that started to say, this is the way that we believe mm-hmm. things can be done the best. And once people started using what they said, people should be doing mm-hmm. it got a whole lot easier mm. and everything started talking mm. to each other and there are a lot of the problems that we had all singing from the same hymn sheet i guess that's exactly right say. yeah I, a quick example of that is just html mm. so the structuring language of data of information on the internet is you know it's built on a set of standards and they're constantly you know people are always making new suggestions mm. new little tweaks things they don't like in the old ones they sort of want to get rid of there are lots of discussions around that yeah and they'll you know you'll see things where they're saying oh we're proposing this for the new standards and some people go ahead and just test it right away when no one supports it but it's really interesting it's the, the mm. bleeding edge of where we're sort of moving towards really yeah. cool stuff but it's a huge, as David was saying, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. It's, you know, getting thousands of people to agree. I don't envy them at all. I mean, you even asked him a question. It was, uh, it was like, how, how are you going with this? You know, <laughs> just, like, he just kind of laughed. Oh, was, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know. It, it would have been recorded. It, I yeah. think the recording didn't work. But he said something like, you know, it involves, you know, you have to like beg, borrow, steal pretty yeah. much almost <laughs> and blackmail just to get things moving. I yeah. probably shouldn't have said yeah. that. Because um, it is, it, it's, it's kind of like hurting cats you know everyone has an outcome that they want and you just (laughs) so at the end of the day there has to be someone to just say this is how we're going to do stuff Mm. it might not be the absolute best way but it's a way that we all just need to agree on so we can move on you know Mm. we can get on with actually building stuff and stop talking about it and bickering about it and building a thousand different things that all do the same thing Mm. because that's kind of what we're looking at right now i mean everything we've listed there's so much redundancy and repeating of functionality Um, i don't think it's going to be until we really get to a standard that we'll start to see a lot more optimization Mm -hmm. and a lot more new stuff getting because it's a big risk jumping jumping on early we'll get to that in a short while so we've got the challenges that we've covered so far the disparate tech bunch of different things out there all sort of competing ideas building standards around Mm. that what are the other sort of problems we've got yeah so another challenge uh, we've kind of touched on it there's just a large number of chains mm. at the moment. Like, there's so many blockchain projects around at the moment and blockchain projects on other blockchain projects too. I mean, mm. Ethereum and all the different pr- platforms being built on Ethereum is just one example of that. Um, 
a lot of them are targeting enterprise too. It's not just Ethereum that's targeting enterprise. I know EOS are making a huge push to target enterprise. Neo, which we covered last time, yep, yep. Um, they're very much keyed into like, making themselves a business chain. Mm. Um, and this space is going to look very different mm. in the next few years. It's, it's, it, we're still very early. We're still really working out what an ideal blockchain is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just another difficulty right now with this enterprise blockchain stuff is that, like we are talking about before, it's overwhelming. Like an enterprise is looking at this and going, well, I mean, crap, do I pick Ethereum? Because it may not be around in five years' time. Mm. You know, something else better might come out and, um, and that may be better. And that's why I really love Microsoft's approach, just because they're, they're, they seem to be focusing as much on building stuff around the periphery that can play nice with anything so that, uh, you know, if a new blockchain um, platform comes out and it, it offers a whole new bunch of functionality, it's not going to be as hard then for someone to sw- swap a lot of what they're doing mm. over to that one. Mm. Um, and I think that's where enterprise, <clears throat> at least the enterprise, if, if they were to ask me, I would be telling them to, to, as, to, to as much as possible not lock themselves into one blockchain and try and work out how they're going to do things in the fringes um, and mm. how they're going to make it so that if, if something else comes up, they can pivot and they can adapt and they can shift. Wow. So that's another real challenge, I think. Like the, just the, the sheer number of blockchains makes it really difficult for businesses to to hone in on one and say that's that's mm-hmm. what we're going with. Wow. And we talked about it earlier too. Sorry, we, we talked about it earlier too with Vitalik's comment on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was saying that this platform just it's just not scaling at the moment, and we've got all this Ent- enterprise Ethereum alliance working on all this stuff. And we still can only process 15 transactions a second, mm-hmm. you know? And he was like, yeah, good luck trying to build Uber on Ethereum. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, Microsoft's approach where they were saying, look, let's just build things that can sort of plug into a few, plug and play with a few different mm. things. That seems like quite a sensible bet. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you still need the blockchain. Like that's the essential part in blockchain technology is the blockchain. And so I think as much as we try and build things around the outside, we still need the blockchain uh, for the core functionality. But I think there's things we can, we're can we beginning to be able to do to mitigate some of the risk of, of locking yourself into one blockchain or another. Um, mm. Atomic swaps, uh, side chains, you know, off, um, off-chain transactions, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is going to help. And yeah, and, and then you've got sort of the whole private chain thing because, you know, mm. I guess businesses are like, oh, I don't want to be sharing all my stuff on a, sticking it on a public chain as you discussed earlier. But yeah. then you've got sort of, do, do people want exclusive blockchains just for them as opposed to sharing with a bunch of other businesses? Or? Yeah, and I think that yeah. then comes down to whether you need blockchain at all. You know, mm. like if you're if you're just a small business and you're saying, we want complete privacy. We don't want to put anything we do on the blockchain. Um, a, it's probably not as secure mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you do if you take that approach. If that's mm-hmm. what you really want to do, but somehow you still want blockchain technology. Uh, my question to to that business would be: Well, do you, are you sure you actually need blockchain? Because it makes probably makes more sense for you to just host your servers because that's mm-hmm. all you'll be doing. You'll just be hosting the blockchain on a few of your own private nodes, and if if you've all got the same security vulnerability um, and you've only got a fraction of the computing power 
that someone else may have. Uh, unless you're running some very specific algorithms, you just you know you're just as likely to be hacked, mm. and you're just as likely to have issues, and you're probably creating more issues for yourself. Um, but if you're a big enterprise that's worldwide and you have a lot of different centers in a lot of different countries, it may make sense for you to host your own chain because you could theoretically have, you know, 200 nodes and each city has its own set of nodes. And um, that might be actually be a really, really secure way for you to run your business and get all the benefits of a public blockchain while on a private chain. Mm. Um, and that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see a lot of conversation around that. A lot of businesses are starting to say, well, I mean, we've got a lot of computers why, don't, why can't we just run our own chain hmm. um, and get the get get the benefits of both? Um, the issue with that, of course, is is when you start wanting to play with other businesses as well. Hey, says mm-hmm. so, so, so. And on from that too. Sorry, mate. I, I keep talking. Uh, the one issue with it, of course, is that if you've got your all your own private blockchain within your company, mm-hmm. and another company you come to another company and you want to make an agreement that company has to trust you. Mm. And yeah. that's the whole reason we've got these public chains. So, I think your use case is a lot more limited mm. if you're running a purely private blockchain because it would only be within the organization. Mm. Um, and the moment you want to do anything that's facing outside, that's when you're going to run into issues because, yeah, like if someone like JP Morgan says, we're running our own private chain, come play on that one, uh, a, a comp- uh, someone else who's doing business with them was, is going to probably say, well, I'd just be more comfortable doing it on a public chain where I can see everything. Mm. Um, so, there's mm. that to consider as well. Mm. But um, I think there's definitely, there's definitely some business reasons that make sense for private chains. Mm. There is another question. If you live in the European Union, you've had the, probably heard about the GDPR, which is the was it General Data Protection Regulations, something something like that. General Data Protection Regulation. Now that's affecting all kinds of businesses, from Facebook through to even just small businesses who hold customer data. It affects like a, a lot of sort of different businesses. If you're listening, do you have any ideas on how? that will affect storing data on a blockchain? I mean, it could be nothing, but if you know anything about that, do hit us up at mm. the show. So, mate, to wrap this all up, what are some of the the, the direct, practical, you know, rubber-hits-the-road use cases for, for enterprise blockchains? So, you've got... A, there's a huge amount of stuff. There are a, bunch of, a couple of different really useful lists out there. Um, 30 of the big non In fact, the big one for me, personally, as someone who buys stocks and shares... Every time I buy, I spend $15. Every time I sell, I spend $15. I pay $30. Okay, so I pay $15 to send a signal along my computer, along a wire to another computer where they make a trade, no human intervention at all, with the exchanges, and then bring that, uh, confirm that and send that back to me. Now, a lot of technology like Robinhood is wiping out those fees. Mm. Um now, those fees actually make it impossible for just the everyday person to be trading and making money trading, which yeah. is restricts stock stock trading to just the wealthier people in society, unfortunately. Mm. Mm. While it won't directly, you know, well, while it may well affect that, things like fund managers, cheap funds, where you've got all the money in a pool, mm. the blockchain can sort of control the bank accounts, and you say, okay, let's just balance this amongst 
the top companies in the FTSE 100 or whatever, mm. it can use the tech to mm. validate a lot of that stuff. So mm. for funds, I think that could be huge. Yeah, and and it's all open as well, I guess, mm. is the other thing mm. too. You mm. know, the people can put their money in that fund and know that it's being managed properly, can see what's being done. Minimal um, human intervention. That's required. right, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a great piece on 30 non-financial use cases of blockchain tech. What were the big ones that sort of you you've pulled out uh, you can sort of see in that list yeah um uh, so there's, there's a few that stick out to me uh blockchain as a service is definitely one i think mm-hmm. that's going to be huge if you're a software as a service company and you're anything at all interested in blockchain i think this is where you need to be pivoting your company towards uh or at least adding it to your suite of uh of offerings um compliance and security is another one mm-hmm. um if, if you can create very specific uh, standardized rules for compliance and if you can then use the blockchain as security mm-hmm. uh, it's going to make such a huge difference mm. for businesses who spend literally millions and millions of dollars on compliance and security mm. that could be performed using blockchain technology mm. for, for next to nothing um, digital identity is another one and Microsoft and a bunch of other companies talk about this a lot if we can get identity to be secure private and digitized in a verifiable way it's going to be really really good in so many different ways from protecting uh privacy uh, we talked about facebook earlier and, and that's going to really help uh, all the way to to making it a lot easier for people to comply with know your customer requirements mm-hmm. without all the burden of holding all that data mm-hmm. you know because it's like we talked about before honeypot you know if you have all this customer data mm-hmm. just Sitting in your servers, that's, oh, Equifax did, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's liability. That's mm. that's poten- that's huge potential mm. lawsuits. And if you can put all that on a blockchain and just tap it when you need it, that's going to be mm. massive. What are some ones you s- that stick out to you, mate? I'm seeing like e-voting. That's a, that seems like a big one for me. Um, the land registry as well. Now I don't I don't work on that side of things, but just having you know verifiable who owns which bit of land, mm. who and registering things via that, making transactions through that, that sort of makes a lot of sense. It would take a lot of paperwork out of it. Mm. Yeah, even just like basic property, real estate records. Um, is it, and and yeah, that, that, that'd be... And supply chain management, mm, I guess, is the, a big one that sticks out. Yeah. We were talking about Walmart last episode? I think no, it was a couple of episodes ago. Episodes yeah. ago. Talking about what they were doing there. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, look, I, I think supply chain is one of the... It, a lot of people use it as their big example of what this can do for enterprise because if you can make all of the components in your supply chain blockchain-enabled and you can, say, uh, have a package start at a store mm-hmm. and track it using a blockchain-enabled chip through every single stage of the supply chain, when it arrives to the customer, the customer can just uh, automatically... Like, they can log into that entry on the ledger and see all the places it's been and verify that it's come from where it needs to come from. And I mean, even uh, something as simple as I was, I was talking to my wife um, yesterday and, and we were talking about a company that uh, they have rescue homes in mm. uh, a Southeast Asian country and right. they, so they rescue girls from prostitution and, and essentially help them kind of put their life back together after they've been you know, sex Eesh. trafficked as children. And this company uh, gets them to make really high-quality jeans. So right. that's how they pay for the pay uh, their wages, pay for the rescue home, and pay for more girls to come in. They right. they um, they have this company. I think they're called uh, JC Jeans, and uh, the they have like a little. I'm pretty sure they have like a little sticker on that just to say this is where it's come from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you're buying a, a, a set of JC Denim, that's what they're called, right. and you're buying a set of jeans that's been made by uh, a former child sex slave, yes. uh, and we're you know rehabilitating them, and um, and you know something like that. You know, if you could put a, a a a small blockchain chip in there instead, and you could see that it's come from the production floor there in in Cambodia or wherever it is, and it's come all the way to your hands, and you can verify that it hasn't gone via any other route. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it means that. You know, as a customer, you can it, it adds that extra level of trust. Mm. You can even you can even build a smart contract behind that to say whenever that pair of jeans is bought, you know, automatically send a certain amount of money to the home and you know, mm. wherever else. So yeah, I think not for profits, especially. I think are going to benefit from a lot of this transparency stuff, uh, with their transparency. And, yeah, mm. um, like yeah, if you're a not for profit in this space, you this should be where you're 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 heading towards because it's. It's not only good from a donor side, but it's amazing from a compliance side because mm. it, it just lets you uh, show without a doubt where money has gone. So what, what absolutely fascinates me about this whole thing, and, and David mentioned it in his talk, and we hear it over and over again. It's just like how fresh this stuff is. I mean, it, we are in mm. the Wild West. Yeah. We're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing traditional industry try and sort of like step into this. But it's how this plays out in practice is going to be fascinating. Is it, you know, are we going to have in our blockchain that's specifically for supply chain, you know, so tracking things from and to so that you can like verify stuff on that? Like how these things are going to play out in practice yeah. is super interesting. I mean, I can't, I haven't even got the faintest idea about where it's going. Yeah, I... I <sighs> <laughs> it, it's it's honestly really hard, like looking at it right now, trying to work out where it is going to go. Because in one sense, I get like, and I use it a lot, the analogy that it's kind of like the second coming of the internet. But at the same time, um, a lot of what the blockchain jo- does, the internet already does to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the big key is if you're an, an enterprise and you're looking at the blockchain, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. You have to ask yourself... Um, am I am, do I have something that's outward facing first of all so am I interacting with other parties in some way that requires trust mm-hmm. and if the answer to that is yes I think blockchain is definitely for you I think it, it just makes so much more sense because you can you can eliminate a lot of that mm-hmm. trust and you can be a lot more transparent the second thing to, to ask is am I holding any confidential data or am I um, storing things that if if they were hacked uh, or if they were breached would cause me to have significant amounts of liability. I think if, if the answer to that question is yes as well, uh, then blockchain's definitely for you. I think the other one to look at too is automation. You know, if, if there's areas that can be automated and that's outward facing or that's even if that's internally facing but there are still uh, elements of trust or parts where things are being stored, uh, blockchain makes sense for you there as well. You've also got to ask, am I ready to move really fast? Because things are going to move really fast mm. for a few years and you've got to almost have the resources there to be able to sponsor that. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to move. It is going to move. And I, I think like as a counterpoint to that, I think the other question you've got to ask yourself is, am I ready to be left behind? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because it will move really fast, but... The the people that get on this stuff and really own it, um, I talk about embracing disruption a lot, and I think that's that's kind of where where it's at. 
it's going to be a lot more beneficial to at least have some skin in the game mm. than to have none at all and just to watch it fly past you. Mm. Well, there's a, there was a quote from a, a futurist back in the day, Alvin Toffler. He wrote, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who can't read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm. And I feel that we're definitely going to be doing that with the blockchain. I yeah. mean... We, it would have happened with the internet, you know, new things come out the whole time. You've got to you know, reverse some things back and push other things forward. And you have to be ready to sort of just go with it. So Yeah. Because, <laughs> mate, if you want to sign an agreement in 10 years' time and it doesn't have some form of trustless blockchain smart contract element to it, people are going to go, what are you hiding? Mm, mm. Like, why, why, why should I trust you when we can eliminate most of the trust by building a smart agreement that just enforces the terms mm, for us mm, mm. based on maths. Like people selling cars without, you know, roadworthy certificates. Yeah. Yeah, in five years' time, they're going to go, why can't I see where this car has, where this car has been mm. and why doesn't it have a blockchain entry? So, uh, yeah, that's a very fair point. Yeah. We just won't trust each other. <laughs> no one needs well, we to. won't need to. That's yeah. the you know that's that's the whole point of it. It's kind of scary it? at the same time. Yeah, but pretty cool. Yeah. So we've got a listener question from uh, Richie Rich BTC who posted it via our Slack channel. Thanks for the thanks for the question, Richie. Um, Richie asked, have you, um, "How could teams best market and gain exposure for their project?" While still maintaining their credibility, it seems really difficult to do, especially in the current market. That's a pretty big question. It's a, it's a pretty hard question, I guess, mm. because from a marketing perspective, you've got trust is one element, and maintaining credibility and, and trust while simultaneously supposedly shilling is quite a weird one. I guess what I would say is being very very genuine mm. you know they have to be i mean a lot of the top youtubers were just being themselves on camera i, I think you've got to the, the whole thing with this blockchain community is that it's built on openness the reason we wanted distributed ledgers is that so uh, they were open ledgers and people could see what was going on and i think you have to apply the same mentality to your product or your company if you if you're coming into this space especially if you're asking for money you have to apply the same mentality to that as you're applying to the blockchain itself and i've seen some companies do it really well i think there's a, there's a few companies out there that have, that have very regular audits they open up uh they they make sure that everything is done on a block on a blockchain like on a ledger so people can see what's happening and uh to, to be frank, I think the best thing you could possibly do is to build the product first. Mm. If you can uh, either build the product just between the, the core development team without asking for any funding or if you have to get a bit of private funding to at least build the, the, uh, the product and then give that private funder some incentive when it comes to like a mm. token generation event – I think that's the way to go because people need to see that there's something tangible. And a lot of the scamminess that's come into this space has been where people have just slapped together a website, put some pictures up um, and just run with that, you know. And actually, look, uh, looking back on one, it's a shame it really didn't get funded, but we featured Kexcoin in, I would think it was episode three of the mm -hmm. podcast, one of the first episodes. And that was something that Chris Coney, who's from the Cryptoverse, was involved in. And 
uh, while it didn't get funded, which was, yeah, a real shame, I really liked the way they ran their campaign. They had a lot of video content. They had regular updates from all the creators. You knew uh, where the company was based. It, it was registered in a, in a country and you could see all the people and they were quite clearly all there on the camera and they were very open about everything they were doing. And it was actually involving real physical, tangible assets mm. as well. And I think that's, that's at least for me, that's what I look at. In 100%. A those are some fantastic points. I think I just add to that from the marketing perspective. Um, we'll get onto the trust point that you mentioned in a second. But first thing I would say from a marketing perspective is everybody needs all of these projects. And you see a lot of these coins don't have on their homepage just a one sentence and in an absolute nutshell. What is it? Mm. You know, are you a smart mm. contract company for pet shops? Yeah. Are you a you know the as opposed to saying you know the future of portability oh. or you know whatever they say the future the, of smart contracts, yeah, scale like, at oh. speed and things like that. You, yeah. If you can say in a nutshell succinctly what you do, you got your elevator pitch. You know, if you, people used to put that on their homepage, that is a hundred percent as the big words, the first thing I see. So I've got what you do. Yeah. You pique my curiosity. Yeah. I'm not curious by seeing sort of a random long description or even just yeah. vague terms, a very specific mm. qualifier. That's one thing. Because this is a crowded space mm. and you've got like five, maybe 10 seconds 100%. to get across what you do or they're clicking away. Because people are going through coin market cap, going through the top coins, opening them, opening their websites yeah. and then close, 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 close. Yeah. That's basically how it's going. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that part is number one. Secondly, simplicity. Keep everything really simple. I mean, if, you, if you're using big things and complicated terms, put a diagram in because I'm not going to understand it. Yeah. Imagery every few hundred words so I can actually see what I'm trying to understand here. Even your white paper needs to be relatively easy to understand. Yeah. And if you're doing, you know, if you've opened, if you've built some code for it and you're open sourcing it, at least have some comments so people can sort of know where to go when they're looking around mm. the code. Mm. And even f and for the non-technical people who are looking to invest in your project, explain what you're building, why that's important, yeah. and where we've got to so far, and yeah. it's still what's there to be built. Yeah. Because that's the transparency part. So what Matt was saying about trust, having people who are there, like what Kexhoin did, having a an actual, actual people as opposed to hiding behind random avatars and things like that, actual people who can be verified via... LinkedIn, things like that. Yeah. Great points. I think I'd 100% agree with you on that. Yep. Because that is trustworthiness. That's and right. Trust is, is kind of intangible, but there are things, there are measures we can do. Yeah. You know, some of that is social proof from other people talking about it, but still, it has to have that core stuff. And it's in more limited supply now, too, trust. Like at this time last year, people were throwing money. Like if mm. you had something, if you had a web page, and you had the word ICO in it and token generating event and you had like a pre-sale and then a sale. Your founder could have been John Doe. People, you would have made $5 million. Mm. Like it was just that was the kind of environment that things mm. were at. But frankly, a lot of them are, are, are either completely gone by the wayside or they're going to be in jail soon because they've completely breached securities law. So now it's very different and people, uh, their trust is in very limited supply because they've been burnt mm. and there's so much noise. You know, the signal to noise ratio is huge. So you need to cut through that. You need to give people reasons to trust you. One final thing from the marketing thing, come up with a, a few different images with some very small brief points on them that people can share 
And also, something that can be useful, if it's a project like a coin, mm. put a comparison table with something that everyone can see. Yep. So you can see how yours goes head to head. Yeah. If you know someone who might enjoy the podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. Um, you can either link them to uh, our website, FOMO.show, mm-hmm. or you can just get them to, to search for the FOMO show in their podcast app of choice mm. or on YouTube and please remember to tell them to play, press subscribe. Yeah, if you see us on one of those platforms, that if you tried searching for us on a pl- podcast platform and you haven't found us, let us know and we'll get that submitted there for you. And also, if you like the podcast, uh, we would really appreciate it if you left a review. If the, mm. if the platform does allow you to leave a review, uh, that really helps us. The more reviews that uh, we get on the show, the more likely it is to be put in some kind of promoted area mm. on the platform. Um, especially on iTunes, if you're an iTunes user, the reviews on there really do help. You can find us at uh, FOMO.show. You can jump on our Slack at FOMO.show slash Slack. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. Well, that's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. If, Absolute pleasure. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. Yeah, because there is like a close relationship. I just didn't really know. I don't yeah. know. Any, I, they yeah. don't teach us about... There are too many countries we've taken over, That's mate. Right. There's not enough time in history lessons. <laughs> you were supposed to be the newsreader. <laughs> you were supposed to be balanced to the blockchain. So, mate, uh, 7.9% of Americans have uh, purchased crypto. Yeah, right. Uh... I mean, look, you can't look. It's you can't commit money laundering if you're surrounded by red tape. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, all unless, you say, unless you make the red tape, of course, <laughs> then you can launder all you want. It's a lovely time. To, I can't remember what I was hearing. I think it was on like Fry and Laurie. It was like it's a lovely time to be manufacturing red tape. <laughs> so, what's been going on this week in the news? I don't know, mate. I haven't looked at anything. Oh, fair enough. Right, crisp packet colours mm. are all wrong in this country. Mm. Right, so I, I moved from Britain, where I'm used to the great British packet of chips. I mean, packet of crisps, as crisps. we call them, as mm. your chips, as we call them here. Blue crisps should be... Original. Nah, that should be cheese and onion. Red, no. red is ready salted. Green is salt and vinegar. Pink is prawn cocktail. Prawn cocktail? Yeah, bro. Yuck. Sorry, I don't think you've had prawn cocktail. Oh. Walker's prawn cocktail crisps are just the business. But no, so yeah, you, and no, you, you guys have got it all wrong because oh, yeah. pink is salt and vinegar. All right. Green is chicken. What? Green is chicken. Yeah. 
Blue is original. Interesting. Um, what are some other colours? Red is tomato. Tomato barbecue. Yeah. We used, have, you, we, used tomato have Sam, we used to have a brand called Samboy. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're around anymore. You're right. But they used to have Atomic Tomato. Wow. And What's that, tomato and paprika or something? No, it was just like intense tomato. They Ooh. used to give you like this extra flavor sachet and you could wow. like pull it out. Salt and vinegar, same thing. You could like pull it out and you got extra salt and vinegar sachet. Oof. But that made sense because red was tomato. I guess it does make sense if tomato Brown is barbecue. Are, brown is barbecue. I think brown is the same for both countries. Okay. Or it's like brown or black. So we've I got think some common ground. Oh, wait, hold on. No, brown is smoky bacon, I think, in the UK. Oh, no, that's like a maroony. Mm. It's just weird. It's like, mm. if you're listening, what are the main crisp packets colours in your country? <laughs> Send us a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we want your feedback on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have your say. <laughs> We should, run, we should run a radio show. Oh, we've got a we've got Ben calling in from uh, from uh, North Ipswich. Yeah, I'm just I'm just calling in for that that crazy Brit you got on your show, mate. <laughs> chicken is green, all right. I don't care what you pommies do over the ditch. Chicken is green. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Ben. We're going to cut your line. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But to me, yeah. Whenever I think of chicken, anything produced, it should be green. Okay, so that crisp uh, Matt is gesturing to a green packet of ch- of crisps, chips, and chips uh, in whichever language you des- decide to speak in. Now, that specific colour should be sour cream and onion, which, of course, we both agree on when it comes to Pringles. Sour cream and onion is yellow. What? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Where is some common ground between our very different countries? I think barbecue. Probably the common ground. Okay. Yeah. If you've got a chicken salt, chicken salt shaker. That's not. Oh. In the UK. Yeah. What color would it be? Do you know what chicken salt is? One of the rarest things in the UK. Really? You have to actually. You have to actually go out of your way. To find it will just be you know two inches of shelf space in a massive no. supermarket, dude. But chicken salt's the best. Like if you want to have, if oh, you want to have it some, is. Like, I've never chips, had the best chips. You get chicken when salt. The fish and chip shops will sometimes put it on. Mm. More often than not, they won't because mm. they don't even know what it is. Mm. But I will agree with you. They mm. make chips the mm. business. If you've never had chicken salt on your chips or your French fries or whatever you call them from yeah. wherever you're from. Wedges, whatever. Next time you're at a fish and chip store, ask them for chicken salt on the chips. It's going to change your life on the hot on the hot chips. It's just so good. And then the next level up from that is adding mayonnaise, as in dipping mayonnaise. Oh, I can see some oh. questions. Like aioli see- or like just mayonnaise? Just mayonnaise. Nah, man. No, 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 no. no. Agree to disagree. Fair enough. It's it's arguments, it's arguments like that that keep the mayonnaise price reasonable. Mm. Because if there was demand from you as well as me, mm. mayonnaise would just be through the roof. Yeah. Supply and demand. That's right. That's the free market economy at work. Just don't buy mayonnaise, anyone. Oh, wait, hold on. Then that would reduce the... Oh. Mm. Then no one will make mayonnaise anymore. <sighs> Economics. This but is horrific. Can we agree? <laughs> Garlic aioli mayonnaise is better than normal mayonnaise. 
Do you know what? I've only had aioli maybe f- seven times in my life now. Mm. I've had it, you know, three of the times you were probably there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty pretty uncultured when it mm. comes to that. I'm like, the, Walker's Crisps. On the next no. episode of Chips Talk. <laughs> I reckon we should just have a little two-minute segment in every show. <laughs> chip chat. Chip chat. Yes. <laughs> chip chat. chat with Matt and Joe. <laughs> or crisp crisp chit chat. Wait, chip chat. And now, chip. the moment you've all been waiting for, it's another chip chat with Matt and Joe. 